You ever had moments of doubt? I'm talking one of those I'm just not sure moments. And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you've always kind of had your faith together. But I've had these moments, and these moments have come kind of fast and furious where I, I want to believe everything that God promises, and I want to believe everything he says I am, but I doubt. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You know, if we're being honest, and I feel like since the snow always makes people who aren't honest stay home, uh, uh, let, let's just be real today. I think I had one of those doubt moments about three years ago. Um, this was about our number normally on those Sundays, if you remember with me. Those of y'all that were there with us in those days, our senior pastor had passed. Um, if we're being honest, and, and I want to be with you today, um, those are probably some of the worst times and days and months for the pastoral staff of our church. Um, it was hard to be here. It was hard for you to be here. And we all doubted. Well, you know, the interesting thing about that season, too, is it wasn't just that we felt like the church was being in a, in a tremor moment. It was also in the midst of that tremor, there was competition from other churches. And we, if you're like us, doubted. I remember walking in the sanctuary. I admitted this to uh, a couple of my former students this past week. I came in the sanctuary without anybody in here, and I, I told God what I thought about him in particular at that time. I was like, I, I can't believe a loving God would allow us to go through this. Can't believe that this is what you called us to do. Can't believe this is what today feels like. Where are you? And I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer like that. But I did. I was mad. You ever been mad and be a Christian at the same time? And if you say no, at the end of service, we're going to have an altar call. You can come pray because um, you're a liar. Anyways, so you're mad and a liar. That's, that's like being a politician. Uh, but I remember walking around just asking God why. Why are we going through this? Why is this the time that we're in? And, and can I just be honest with you? I believe we went through that season for this morning and hearing our students lead worship passionately. Man, I sat there and went, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the seasons where I doubt and you don't. Isn't it amazing that God has faith in you? I, I often think about that all the time. Like, I, how is it that a loving God puts the future of his church into the hands of us. I mean, would you? If you could pick a crowd to, like, represent you, would you pick us? I mean, I think I would pick, like, over-the-top, crazy, passionate people. Like, have you ever been to an airport and seen the guys with shaved heads wearing robes dancing around with tambourines? I'd pick them. Those guys will do anything. I would pick, if we're being honest, I would pick football fans. Because football fans can have a really bad season and still show up to cheer for their team. 
I mean, if we're being honest, I'm going to pick heavy metal goth rockers. You know who I'm talking about? That's the kind of guys that show up and they're, they're painted up and they're wearing spikes and like they've got fake blood coming out of their mouth and they show up and they go, ah! And then they go be an accountant the next day. I'm picking that guy. Because that kind of person will go after anyone with goth. But would we pick us? Because if we're being honest this morning, I told you, I want you to be honest with me. We're not that passionate. I mean, we don't show up when things are bad. I have a buddy that's at a a large campus at a church in town today. He posted a number, 45. That's how many people showed up to church this morning. And listen, if we're being truthful, if the same thing would have happened tomorrow morning, you still would have taken your kids to school. You still would have showed up at work. Because if we're being truthful, we're more passionate about going to work to earn a check than we are about worshiping Jesus. This is the story of Easter. Because see, the first Easter morning, there were no passionate people. I'd like to say, hey man, that Easter Sunday morning started immaculately. But if we're looking at the text together, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27, the very end of it in verse 62, no one's passionate. The disciples aren't in the streets going, hey, the countdown has begun. Y'all just wait. Jesus is about to come out of that tomb because he said so. Because didn't Jesus say so? How many days did he say he'd be in there? Three days. These are the same men who would write this scripture down are now nowhere to be found. They're hiding away. They should be walking the street saying, hey, uh, people of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, Roman soldiers, y'all come wait out here. It's about to happen. Today is the day. Y'all just wait. Hey, bring your lawn chairs. We'll have a cookout. Potluck, you Baptists, you people that follow John the Baptist. Let's have a good time. Let's watch. It's going to happen. You just wait. (laughs) I know you're skeptical, but wait. This isn't what happens, is it? In fact, we get at the start of the verse 62. Let's just run right through it. The next day which followed preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, after three days I will rise again. Who heard the sermon? The people who asked for Jesus to be crucified. They got it. They knew what was about to happen. He said in three days, so um, do us a solid, man. Verse 64, therefore give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples will come and steal him and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. So they set up guards. For how many days? Three days. They get the story. They heard Jesus speak. Where are the disciples? Where are they? Shouldn't they be waiting? Shouldn't they be standing looking at Roman guards going, hey, how are you? No, we're, we're good. We're just going to stand right here because Jesus is about to walk out of that tomb and we want to be here for it. You know, do your thing, man. Cool. Can we get you anything to eat? But that's not what happens. Because we hear the very next scripture, it says after the Sabbath. 
at the first day of the week was dawning. Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary went to view the tomb. We get another scripture that they're bringing spices to prepare Jesus' body for death. That means this. That the disciples and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary have all believed that after three days, Jesus was going to be what? Dead. Is anybody else not moved by the Easter story now? Because we have seasons of doubt. <laughs> we admitted that together, right? You have seasons where you don't believe and where you struggle in your faith and you're not alone. The people that walked with Jesus struggled. And so here's this moment. The women come to check out the tomb. What do they find? They find an earthquake. I love that. They're coming to check the tomb, and it says in verse 2, Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his robe was white as snow, and the guards were so shaken from fear of him, they became like dead men. I think we all would have become like dead men. Um... I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. Anybody in here been in an earthquake? Hands? One? Two? Like three, four? Thank you all for, you know, being slow. Anyways, um, but it, it shakes you. Like, you don't know what to do. Do you go outside? What if the earthquake is like something falling on you? You stay indoors? Where do you hide? So like, in this moment, not only are they shaken, they see the angel come down and his He's like lightning to them. And they go, I'm out. Kazoom. I was going to fall in, but I'd have hurt myself. And so they're shaken to the core. They don't even know what to do about this. And in this moment, in this crazy moment, it says, but the angels told the women. So what's really happened in this moment is this. The guards go out. The women are still standing there going, now what? And listen to what he says. Don't be afraid. Because I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he is resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and do what? Tell the disciples. I like this. He has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Listen, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples the news. Then Jesus met them and said, good morning. I love that. I love this moment. Good morning. They came up and they took a hold of his feet and worshiped, and he told them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave Galilee, and they will see me there. This moment of Easter is not what we imagine. Because we get to be in the same playing field in this moment as the disciples. We all at this moment had to become believers. Because at this point, they're staying at home going, well, now what? And maybe that's you, because fear is a natural response, but it's never the right one. You can put doubt as a natural response, but it's never the right one. Or anger is a natural response, but it's never the right one. Because when it comes to God, we bring us to the story, but God brings himself. <clears throat> I was telling the group this morning, when we worship, we worship not to get God's attention. We're always in God's attention. He always sees us. He always hears us. Worship gets our attention. 
and calls us to God, it, it reminds us of why we show up on Sundays, why you show up to do your quiet time, why you show up to sing, why you show up to serve, why you show up to give. Because God wants your attention. Because left to your own, we become crazy people. We find ourselves locked away instead of waiting at a tomb. I was thinking about Easter the other day, and I started wondering, why is it that as Christians we don't have, like, wall hangings that look like empty tombs? Why is it that we only hang crosses? You ever wondered that? Some of y'all need to go into business, uh, just making, like, empty tombs to hang on walls. We, we love the cross, we just don't really believe the tomb. Because if we believe the tomb, it calls us to do something. You see, the cross is for you, right? Pays the price for your sins, gives you forgiveness. The tomb gives you a responsibility to go and tell someone. That's what the tomb did. The tomb opened up a brand new conversation that had never been had. Not only would somebody die for your sins, but they would live beyond it. And because of that, you can live beyond death as well. The question is, do you believe it? So that day, Jesus broke the finality of death forever. He broke the finality of death because we're all moving towards it. We don't know the day or the time. We don't know the age it'll be. Certainly, death doesn't come by gender or race. It comes to everybody. It's not, you know, picky. It takes young and old alike, doesn't it? It takes the best of us. It takes the worst of us. It takes us all. But it just doesn't have a finality because the tomb ended that. The tomb ended a finality of death and it opened up an eternity of life that before we had no access to. I love what happens next. We get a, a bribing moment where soldiers are t- you know, told to be paid off and just say, hey, they took his body. But then we get to verse 16. And I believe verse 16 is as much a part of the Easter story as the tomb. Because it's now, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? It says the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some, what does it say? doubted can y'all tell me why i mean listen you saw jesus live a perfect life before you heal people heal the sick feed the thousands you saw him calm the waters you saw him call out demonic you've seen him do crazy things in your life you saw him go to a cross you saw him die you've been hiding away and then he appeared to you and now you're in galilee waiting for him to show up and some are still going well I mean, is this, is this real? So if you've ever had a doubt, just realize this, you're in the presence of disciples. The problem is this, some of you stayed there. Some of you haven't moved beyond your doubts. And that's not where Jesus wants to leave you. Jesus wants to call your attention to himself so he can show you you don't have to live in doubt. You can live in victory today. And so we get to this pivotal scripture as Jesus is commissioning out these disciples. And he tells them these words, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, as I read this passage, I begin to think that Jesus never wrote the end. But instead, he wrote go. Jesus never wrote the end. He just wrote go. So what does that mean to us? You know, this week uh, we spent in Atlanta. I got to spend great time with our family ministry staff. Um, and Abigail Manus, um, who's serving the Lord at her church. And the whole week was about how we love our neighbors and how that really does show Jesus' love. I mean, we can play the church game, but if we don't love people, it doesn't make any difference, does it? Because, I mean, our job is not to sit. Our job is not to stay. Our job is to go. So I just want to walk through that with you. Uh, on Tuesday mornings, our men's group, we talk all the time about that God puts order to things on purpose. He lists things in Scripture in order so that we get them in order. So let's just walk through this to end today. The first is go. You have to go. That means this, when you go to work tomorrow, you have to go to work as a disciple of Jesus. As you go to school tomorrow, you have to go as one of Jesus's. Because your whole world is looking for who goes on his behalf. You know, there's a, a church the other day that came by the house. And they knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and they said, Sir, uh, we're with the church, and... And we just wanted to invite you to a service we have coming up. And I was like, that's awesome. I said, talk to me about it. They said, oh, and it was a Christian church. And I was like, that's awesome. And they said, so do you go to church anywhere? I looked at my family, and they're all going. <laughs> and I'm like, I do, I do. And they're like, amen, where is it? I said, oh, it's just a church up the block. They said, oh, do you know the name of it? I said, yeah. Church at Quill Creek? Oh, that's great. Do you know the pastor's name? <laughs> and I went, I think I do. They said, oh, what's his name? And I said, it's Kyle Clayton. Oh, I've never met Kyle. Uh, is he a good preacher? I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm looking back at my family, and they're all like, wrap it up, wrap it up. I'm like, I'm Kyle Clayton. I'm the pastor of the church at Quill Creek. And they went, oh. Have a good day. <laughs> you know, it was done. Uh, that works really well with anybody at your door, by the way. When they come to sell stuff, you're like, oh, I'm the pastor of the church at Quill Creek. Have a good day, sir. <laughs> nice, you know. Um, freaks the Avon lady out every time. I don't know why. Um, but I'm, I'm moved by something about their character. They genuinely cared about me. They asked about my family. Uh, they saw Hank, the guard dog, who licks you to death. Um, and they're like, oh, it's a beautiful dog. And I was like, that's great. We just got him trained to where he doesn't bite people. And they're like, oh, God bless you. Um, and so, I mean, just in that moment, just hearing their heart and hearing them share with me makes me wonder, where do you go? Where do you go for God? I, I just want you to be honest in your mind today. We, we talked honestly this whole morning where do you go for the Lord? I mean, don't just say, well, I, Brother Kyle, I go everywhere for Jesus. Well, really, how many conversations about Jesus have you had? 
well, you know, I'm not that in to Jesus. Well, listen, I, I believe that if you really did take Jesus with you, he'd probably say different things than you do, wouldn't he? He'd probably go after people that you wouldn't touch. Lest we forget that he was constantly found around tax collectors, prostitutes, and the rejects. I think Jesus liked people that smelled. I think Jesus liked people that hurt. I think Jesus liked the alcoholics. I think Jesus liked the sinners. That's what we call them, right? I think Jesus called them people. I think Jesus just genuinely loved people. And I think the broken were his favorite because they were the church's least favorite. I mean, at that point, if you were broken and you had some in your life that we would consider a sin, you weren't allowed to come to church anymore. That's exactly who Jesus loved. That's exactly who Jesus invited to the table. And that's where you should go. Remember the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You Will Go? Remember that? You ever wonder if we would kind of engage back in that childlike understanding again and just remember we're called to go? Even Dr. Seuss said so. Even if you don't love Jesus, you should go because Dr. Seuss said so. You should go. The next, we should learn to make disciples. And you may be like, listen, I can't teach nothing. That's okay. But you can show them how you study the scripture, how you pray, how you come to church. And they say, well, I, I don't really like reading scripture. And, and if you're being honest, there's probably some of you that say that. You'd say today, I don't read the Bible. <laughs> I just, not my thing. And I want to challenge you in that. I hope you'll come find me. I want to give you a tool for that. Something fun. I promise you it won't be dull, okay? But the Bible's worth spending time in because it changes you. And it leads you to be a person that when they go, they can make disciples. You should be a part of that. The next, baptize. You may be like, oh, wait. Now we're into that religious stuff, aren't we? No. See, baptism's not religious. Baptism's obedient. Uh, baptism's like making a photocopy of Jesus and trying to follow it. Um, the reason we baptize because Jesus was. The reason we baptize because Jesus said to. That's why we baptize at our church. You say, well, why don't we sprinkle? Because Jesus wasn't sprinkled. Came out of the water. That's why we baptize the way we do. Um, you may say, well, I came from a Methodist church and I sprinkled. God bless you. Did you do it after faith? I mean, did you do it after then? You may say, I was baptized as a baby. Do you believe in Jesus now? Like, I think there's some real conversations we need to have about what baptism really is. Uh, simply because I think that we've made it a bad practice and it doesn't look like Jesus anymore. And if your baptism didn't look like Jesus's, you should really question, should I be baptized? We believe baptism's a celebration here. All the more, we're making it a fun place to be baptized at because we believe that when you're baptized, it shouldn't just be a, oh, that was nice, golf clap. We believe it's a place to yell, scream, and have a good time because baptism's special. The next is to teach. We need to teach people what it looks like to fall after Jesus. And I don't believe that's just to the next generation. I believe that we in this room, we're devoid of a lot of kids today. You need to be taught something about Jesus. And if you're not being taught about Jesus, you're missing a, a huge part of your growth in faith. And the last it says is to remember. We don't often put that as a part of this, do we? That's what he ends with. And remember, I'm always with you. Which answers the question, where is God when we don't feel like it? 
often wondered what it must have felt like to be the disciples. You know, they're hiding away in this upper room. Jesus is dead. And they don't know what to do next. Where was their hope? Where was their joy? Where was their peace? Can you imagine what that felt like? The man you had followed is gone. But then these women run in the room. And they remind you again what Jesus said. And then he says to you, good morning. Let me ask you one last question this morning. Every Sunday we we ask a question, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you given him your life? I want to ask you uh, an add-on question because I believe that if you don't know Jesus, you'll want to because he's an awesome person to follow with your whole life. I want to ask you the next question. Those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, how is your go? And before you say, Brother Kyle, I am so passionate to go out and share my faith. Let me ask you the next question. Do you care about the person you're sharing your faith with? Do you care about them? Because I believe that there's a lot of homeless people in our city that need Jesus, but they also need a home. I believe there's a lot of prisoners today in a prison that need Jesus, but they also need a friend. I believe there's a lot of widows out there today that are hurting, and they need Jesus, but they also need someone to talk to. Your classmates need Jesus. Your coworkers need Jesus. Your family needs Jesus. But they also need a you to go and show up. So go. Be an Easter kind of person that shows up at the tomb and waits eagerly. He's coming. Just wait. Let me show you. Where would you have been at Easter? Where would you have been? Because that day I stood in the sanctuary and told God how much I disliked that he was so distant. He keeps reminding me that I was the one that was distant. I'd lost my go. He had never lost it. How's your go? It'll show up tomorrow, whether it's good or not. And I'm going to pray for you here in a second that your go becomes obvious. And that it makes it super awkward tomorrow if you don't bring your go. So let me pray for you and we'll have our time of invitation. Father in heaven, we believe that you rose from the dead in the life of Jesus. We believe that because Jesus died, rose again, that our sins could not only be forgiven, but you could make a plan for us beyond this life, this side of heaven. So God, today we just declare our need for you. Help us to be passionate, God, about the people around us. Help us to empathize with them and actually have a heart that shows that we care about, Lord, two things. Their today and their eternity. Both are important to you. And so they should both be important to us. So help our go. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we didn't and we should have. And God, we give you praise for the moments you're about to set us up for. God, let let our faith be awkward. 
because you put us in line with people that maybe we didn't even want to talk to but needed Jesus, needed a friend, needed an ear, needed a hand. Help us to be the kind of people that show up like Easter people in the lives of others. Help us to not be stingy with Jesus. Father, we lay our lives down this morning so that we could have all of you. So Lord, in this time as we respond to you, help us to be real. Help us to be genuine. Help our go. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.